Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Hi everyone, welcome to the message today. My name's Lockie and it's a pleasure to share with you. Today we are going to conclude looking at a series of encounters that Mark records to highlight a new way of living that Jesus was showing and teaching the people. So it's Mark 12, 35 to 44. What I hope to show you in this is that pride is deceptive, humility is key, and real love is a demonstrated thing. So previously in in various um, chapters, no, start again. (laughs) Previously we saw from verse 13 that the Pharisees and the Herodians thought they might catch Jesus in his words when they asked about paying taxes to Caesar. They are very uncomfortable with Jesus' teachings. Jesus' way of life is very different to how they live. And Jesus has become a rabbi outside of their establishment, outside of their school. In verse 18, the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, tried to trap Jesus with a question about marriage and the resurrection. But Jesus answers that we'll be like angels and there will be no marriage. Indicating there will be a resurrection as well. Then in verse 28, Mark records the teachers of the law coming up. And one asks, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? Now this is quite a defining moment in Jesus' teaching. And by some counts, he had, as Joseph referred to last week, 613 commands to choose from. But Jesus knows his Bible. He knows the Mosaic law. He knows all the prophets. And there are two verses that clearly give him his answer. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. And the teacher of the law already knew that answer, but he was testing Jesus. But in this case, they agree. The teacher of the law and Jesus agreed. And Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. But there is one more question, isn't there? That's what made me think, if he's not far from the kingdom, what more? And that makes me think of the rich young ruler who said how much he had followed the law. In Mark 10, verse 21, story of Jesus looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. The key of course is love. He knew the law, but he struggled to do those two commandments. Money can become an idol that comes before loving God and loving people. Real love is not just words or knowledge of scripture. Proverbs 19 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Jesus wants us to love God and love people. Not surprisingly, God's ways have not changed. 
how do we respond? Our text today from Mark is an important next step toward leading us into deeper understanding of God's undivided love for people. Mark 12, 35 to 44 calls us to examine our integrity, to check our humility. And now it's Jesus' turn to ask a question. And he has those teachers of the law squarely in his sights. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. Jesus points out that although these people are teachers of the law, they don't know everything. There is a greater understanding available. And in that little story, there's a lot of context that we might even miss today. There have been many important figures in the history of ancient Israel, and David is up there as one of the most important. He's not quite a Moses or Elijah to be sure, but he did accomplish so much for the kingdom of Israel. And I can't list all of them, but important ones were uniting the 12 tribes, setting up the capital in Jerusalem, bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, and making preparations for the temple that Solomon would build. The Bibleproject.com says, he's one of the most recorded characters in the Bible, second to only Jesus himself. And not only was he written about, but he wrote a lot. He wrote many Psalms to express his thoughts and feelings and worship to our God. And when he, were, when he wrote Psalm 110, which Jesus just quoted, he recorded it like he was observing a conversation between God the Father and the Messiah. And while King David might yet know that the Messiah would be his descendant, he still recognises the future Messiah as Lord. And this is a bit where the teachers of the law come a bit unstuck. In the ancient Near East, which encompassed Israel, family is very important. And the more senior you are, the more respect you get. Sometimes it's not even deserved, but it is demanded by culture, by authority. In today's environment, we struggle to understand that, especially in our Australia context, when even when you ask a five or six year old to do something, tidy your room, pick up your toys, can put your breakfast bowl on the bench, why? Why? <laughs> so many questions. And this is why King David is such a good example for Jesus to quote. He gets it, that the teachers of the law don't. The teachers of the law are correctly expecting the Messiah to be the son of David. There are prophecies in numerous Old Testament passages starting with 2 Samuel chapter 7. And to be sure, he is when Jesus is born to Mary and Joseph. How do we know? Because they had to go to Bethlehem for the census, because David was their ancestor. What Jesus is now highlighting is that not only is the Messiah descendant of David, in a human sense, but also his Lord. 
He is also God. He is worthy of humble worship. So not only does Jesus highlight the teacher's lack of knowledge, but he, now he moves on to how they live out what they do know. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Wow, that is a tongue lashing in anyone's language. Talk about getting to the point. Let's break it down a little bit. Verse 38, watch out, teachers of the law. Okay, Jesus, why is that? Well, they like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. We might think, okay, that's not so bad. It's not so bad to look good, is it? And have people respect you? But there's something going on that Jesus is getting at. Most people work hard. They don't get to look so good back in those days. They don't need to look so good. They are trying to please by what they do and not how they look. The Gospel of Matthew records that their teachers like to be called rabbi, which means teacher, and carries with it quite a sense of honour and respect due. It's like they love the lifestyle, the privilege and the respect that the position affords. Verse 39, and they have and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honour at banquets. Okay, so now they love to look important. To be sure, they do have an important role in Israel to teach the word of God. And they would add the correct use of the word of God. Don't they deserve those important seats as spiritual leaders? Of the nation? There's Matthew 23. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Uh oh, <laughs> pretty sure this conduct is not becoming of a spiritual leader. In fact, Mosaic law in Exodus 22 says this. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And he goes on. And for a show, they make lengthy prayers. Jesus is getting more specific now about the issue. It's all about the show. They live for the show. They love to dress up. They love the adulation. They love the honour of the important seats. But they neglect the law. And just so you know, there's nothing wrong about lengthy prayers. That's not what God cares about. That's not what he's most important. He wants you to come to him out of love. They claim to know the law, yet break it. They hold themselves less accountable to the law than anyone else. Matthew 23 covers it, covers it thoroughly, and that's an understatement when it records Jesus scorning them six times with the words, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And once it says, Woe to you, you blind guides. 
And verse 23 is particularly relevant here. I think I'll go back. Here we go. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. They love to be doing religion in front of the crowds. When it comes to loving and helping people, they fall short of the mark. We wouldn't be like that, would we? There's a real challenge in that for us. How do we live? Are we helpful to others? Or do we just let things go? Or are we even obstructive? Do we lift up and include? Or do we separate and talk down to? Do we just come to talk do we just come to church on a Sunday when we can? And talk about our new favourite song? Or do we also worship God in our quiet times? Do we just hang out with our friends or do we take time to help others with our gifts and our skills? These men will be punished most severely, Jesus says. They hold themselves up so high and let others do the same. They will be held more accountable in this case and it's not good. When it comes time to stand before God, he will likely say to them, as in the parable of the sheep and the goats, away from me, I never knew you. There's no relationship there. And then next he has another story. And at first glance, to us, it seems hard to connect. And in second glance, it intrudes on the privacy of giving. We like to be not secret, but it's a private matter between us and God. Jesus is genuinely interested in people And he takes the time to observe what is going on in his generation. In his generation. Make no mistake though, many are happy, those people who give those large amounts, to know what they're giving. Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts But the poor widow came and put two small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she has to live on. And this is not a story about being rich. There are many verses about money. 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is the root of all evil. Matthew 19, it's hard for the rich man to be saved. But the story Jesus wants us to see here is about the poor widow. The widow who gives two very small copper coins, gives out of her poverty because she has to pay the temple tax. Everyone is required to pay the temple tax apart from the priests who work there. But also, she loves her God and she's willing to make that sacrifice. Another unwritten question in there is, who is loving her? Why is she in poverty? 
We can make the claim that, well, that was 2,000 years ago and they didn't have the social security systems that we have today. But they did, they just looked different. There was family first, who, looked, who were called to look after widows. And if there was no family, then God's law said others had to look after them. There's a verse, uh, that other verse in Exodus that we talked about before, and there's also in Isaiah 1, verse 17, which says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. The religious system was supposed to look after the widows. But as Jesus highlights, the teachers of the law are doing the opposite. In verse 40, he says they devour widows' houses, meaning they, they take them, presumably because of debts or uh, they can't afford things, so they take them. In her poverty then, she's given to God everything she has to live on. Why would she do that? How does that make sense? The only way it does make sense is to suggest that she has an eternal perspective and knows the one to whom she's giving. She knows that God loves his people and will look with favour on the faithful. Psalm 58 verse 11 says, Mankind says, mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. In Psalm 19 verse 9 to 11 says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. The reward we looks, that we look for comes from God. The teachers of the law have missed this teaching. They seem to be looking for approval and adulation from people. The faith will look for approval and acceptance and love from God. And he gives freely. It's not something to be earned. The widow didn't have to put anything in the temple offering to earn God's love. But because she loved God, she was willing to make that sacrifice. It's not a story of how much they're giving. It's a story of the heart. The widow's heart was with God. As with anything, the more interested or invested or connected we are, the more willing we are to give. It's a, a small lesson that we've learned more recently in the, in the church office when we're applying for grants. To increase our chances of being successful in, in winning a grant, we are encouraged and we've learned to ring the giving organisation and establish a personal connection. And alongside that, then begin the formal process of applying for the grant. If we just send off our application in the last day and expect someone to hand over their thousands of dollars, we deceive ourselves. Why would they give to someone they don't know? And while it's not a perfect example of God's grace, it is a good example. 
Do we treat God like that? Do we have a relationship with God or do we just ask him for stuff? Do we just plan to check him out when we get older, when we get old? Don't, don't delay. Start talking him, start talking to him today. Start reading your Bible today. Start that relationship today. And yes, because you will get something. You get to know the creator. You get to know peace. No matter the worldly circumstances, and there are some really weird ones around at the moment, isn't there? And best of all, you get eternal life with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It doesn't get any better than that. It doesn't get any more real than that. So I encourage you to stop trying to look good and let's start trying to be good. Not because that's the right thing to do, because we, something we have to do, it's because we love God and that's the way he wants us to live. So thanks for joining in and I hope you enjoyed Mark chapter 12. I've really enjoyed it as everyone has shared through it and I hope you get a chance to read through it again and just see how God is, how Jesus is wanting us to change our hearts, to invest in knowing him more, more deeply. Thank you. Catch you later.